Well, in a year where the planet has been lashed by non-stop catastrophic weather events, being reminded of the people who are working towards change certainly gives you hope rather than despair at the amount of work ahead. Professor Tim Flannery's new documentary, Climate Changes, introduces you to some of the leaders within the climate activist community across the world. Tim, welcome to you. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. July was the hottest month on record. We've just hit the 2015 Paris Agreement of keeping temperatures at or below 1.5 degrees. You'd be forgiven for thinking that climate strategy now is just a matter of minimising damage. Let me ask you, is climate change a scientific problem now or is it a political one, therefore a problem of leadership? Well, look, you're quite right that we are in a phase now of trying to minimise damage and we've been in that phase actually for a number of years now. Um, But the problem really is uh, one of a failure of leadership. If you look at the great leaders that have stepped forward and done something, and they're very few at the high political level, uh, you see what can be achieved. But we people are not prioritising uh, this issue as they should. Australians in every opinion poll clearly want climate change uh, to be addressed. So is the only thing standing in, in the way politics or a lack of leadership then? Look, at base, the problem is simply that a few people make a lot of money from damaging our common wealth, our common climate and our common environment that we all depend upon. So until we, as a, as a people, can stand up and say, no, we can't continue to have this, you can't continue just to privatise the profits and socialise the damage, um, we will face that same situation. As part of this documentary, you visited COP26 and the Australian booth at that um, COP because it's sort of of really only focused on one thing, that's promoting carbon capture systems rather than the fact that we have more solar panels than any other country, certainly domestically. Why do you think it is that Australia keeps focusing on the wrong thing? Well, clearly there are a number of people who are in very influential positions who are making a lot of money um, from privatising the gains and socialising the damage. And um, we allow them to continue to get away with that. There's a younger generation who are, are not uh, quite as, as as compliant as others, but we do need that, the public voice to be recognised and expressed through political leadership. And there have been some great leaders. I mean, you saw in a documentary, Matt Keane, you know, who in New South Wales had got a very ambitious energy program through with the support of the Greens, Labor, uh, Liberals and the Nationals. And that is a great act of political leadership. If we had more of that, uh, we'd be much further ahead. It's hard not to talk and think about the missed opportunities in the last century. You speak with climate councillor and former head of BP Australasia, Greg Bourne, who tells us about the ex-head of BP, Lord John Brown. What did Lord Brown try to do? Well, he was the one who changed the name of the company from you know British Petroleum to Beyond Petroleum, BP. And um, he was investing heavily in things like the production of solar panels. At, at one point, you know, BP was producing 10% of the world's solar panels and was cutting back on its investments in fossil fuels because Brown saw that the damage that was being done was simply unsustainable. But he was um, ditched by the company and um, a new head put in who went back to the past back to the fossil fuels and lost an, an enormous opportunity, really, in doing so. In this series and speaking to the breadth of people that are really occupying the forefront of, of climate change activism and, and, and action, 
Who surprised you the most? Oh, look, I think probably Chief Esau Kakeobata from the Solomon Islands surprised me most. He is uh, a, a traditional man, lives in a village uh, on the island of Malaita, but is one of the most consummate political leaders I've ever met. And for him to get his community together behind an environmental protection program and forest protection program was quite incredible to see how he did that, you know. And it all had to start with a reconciliation process between that community and the outside world, the Australians and the British colonial masters. Uh, and Esau went out and talked to all 4,000 of his Quayo-speaking uh, people to try to forge a consensus as to what needed to happen. He only got 90% of the way there, but that was enough to allow the process to continue. If you've just joined me on RN Drive, Professor Tim Flannery is here. We're talking about his new documentary, Climate Changes. I'll give you some details on how you can see that in just a moment. Tim, your background's obviously in paleontology. And look, speaking of going back in time, given there was lots of archival vision used in this documentary, we decided to dig a little bit into the ABC archives ourselves to find this interview that you did with the ABC back in 1996. Take a listen. To take one point, sustainability, it means all sorts of people to do all sorts of things to all sorts of people. Is there a clear understanding of what that means? No, no, I must say there isn't yet because that's such an enormously broad topic, um, what, you know, bringing about sustainability. And um, I have my own views on that, which are that it's not really practical at present. The volume of demand is just too great and can't realistically be lowered to sustainable levels. But we can make things better for ourselves very easily. And we're making some major advances, I think, right now in terms of doing that. And we're seeing now in Australia the mining sector. Many of our large miners are becoming good citizens in, in the environmental sense. Um, property developers we haven't yet made into good citizens, but I think we probably could. Now, Tim, I didn't mean to embarrass you at all, but no, when, no. You think of, when you think about the language used, I mean, this was part of a debate entitled, Is the Environment Still Sexy? I'm not sure if you remember it. But if you could go back in time, this is back to 1996, what would you tell that, Tim, about the journey ahead, the journey that has had so many missed opportunities? And also, i got to say, in that conversation, you didn't use the word climate change. Back then, it was just sustainability. Well, that's right. I mean, at, at that stage, climate change as a concept wasn't understood by the general public at all. So, uh, and the question was about sustainability. Uh, and, and basically what I said, I would still stand by because back in 1996, we didn't have the tools we needed to make the transition. Wind power was still much more expensive than, than coal and, and, and gas. Solar was very nascent. It was just beginning as a technology. And so we didn't have the tools we needed to, to shift to sustainability. That is not true today. The cheapest form of energy we have today is solar and wind. Um, as far as the, the, the mining companies becoming good citizens, I probably overstated things there. <laughs> they were becoming better citizens, I should perhaps say. And, and there's um, still work to do, right? Well, you know, look at the campaign they ran against the carbon tax. That's something that won't be forgiven by many generations, I think, as the as climate change uh, really starts to bite. And look at the damage that was done at Jook and Gorge and, uh, you know, other places. So clearly they've got a long way to go. Um, but back in the, you know, 80s and 90s, they were a, it was a much more Wild West than it is today. And they were making some steps, at least, I think. I also noticed, looking back through the interviews, that you shifted your focus from population control to climate change in the late 90s, early 2000s. Do you still see overpopulation as a core issue contributing to climate change? 
Well, it is on a on a planet of you know eight billion people plus. Clearly, it is with a lot of people wanting to improve their quality of life quite justifiably. I mean, the big problem we've got is who to ask to get off. So when you address population, that is an insolvable problem. In a certain sense, being able to choose the eco products at the supermarket and putting up solar panels at home, maybe buying an electric vehicle, these are certainly privileges in a wealthy Western, largely Western nations. Do you think that these developing nations can afford to care about climate change in the current model of technology that it's framed in? Look, when I speak to people in developing countries, whether it be the Solomon Islands or Indonesia or Papua New Guinea, there is a huge concern about climate change because a lot of those uh, communities, people are living um, with subsistence agriculture or at least with some dependence on subsistence agriculture and they see climate impacts in the here and now and they have a very real impact on them. So uh, I think that perhaps is, that question needs to be rephrased that you asked me and can they afford not to care? And clearly the answer is no. Um, those developing nations need a more sustainable pathway, and, and they can have one, a more sustainable pathway than the pathway taken by nations like Australia. Tim, you're generally a pretty private person when it comes to your personal life, but we do get a glimpse behind the scenes in this series, Climate Changes. Your partner put it well when she explained that your detractors tend to position you personally as the problem, as if they might be able to do away with the whole problem if they could just tear you down. Why did you decide to include these sorts of interactions in this doco? I suppose it's a measure of how desperate things have got. I'd much prefer to be a private person. I'd much prefer to be doing less of the public face of things. Um, But the truth is we do need more climate leaders. And in making this documentary, I felt that I had to sort of expose a bit of my pathway to where I got to in order to inspire others. Um, yeah, and to, in a way, you know, I'd love to hand over to that younger generation. I'd love to see many more leaders stand up and make a difference. Well, Tim, it's fantastic to see you on the television again. Professor Tim Flannery has been my guest. His documentary, Climate Changes, is having a national screening and it will be live streamed uh, as well as a Q&A event at cinemas around this uh, the country. Uh, it's this Sunday, September 17th, Climate Changes. Look out for it. Professor Tim Flannery, always a pleasure. Great to talk to you. Great. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.